what in your collection gives you the most joy? Absolutely, the goat. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Degrom, Jacob Degrom, all day long. Not just the on-field dominance, but also just the way he carries himself. The guy's such a stud. What is up, Candy Fam? My name is Nate, that's David, and this is the Talking Candy Podcast. Each week, we take a dive into the candy MLB NFT marketplace and give you an idea of what stood out the most to us. And while each of us have collections of our own, none of this is financial advice. We're just here to have a good time. Please do your own research. If these videos are helpful in any way, a like and subscribe go a long way in helping us grow this channel. David, how you doing? I'm doing good, Nate. Uh, always glad to be here. And it's been an exciting week. Can't wait to talk about it all. It has. We have a lot to talk about. We are definitely going to get into packs. We are definitely going to get into the market. But first, at the top of the show, we have an interview with a very special guest, our first ever collector's showcase. Let's jump into that interview right now. Joining us today is Jeff Rathgaber. He is a 51-year-old Mets fan, married with kids, lives on Long Island. He's a finance guy who spent 30 years working at banks, hedge funds, and the last 10 years at the NYU Investment Office. Last but not least, he currently holds four, not one, not two, not three, four Candy MLB one-of-ones. Jeff, thank you for joining us, my friend. Hey, David, thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. We... Uh, we reached out to to Jeff last week, I think it was. David reached out, and you know we we have been watching from the background as you have amassed a, a very impressive collection, and there are a handful of individuals like yourself that that have really uh, taken a look at this project and decided to get involved in a big way. So we're very excited to to talk with you about it, to hear a little bit about your background and and what got you so excited about candy in the first place but i will start with this why the mets and why baseball why are you such a big baseball fan sure sure okay so so why the mets uh, you know born and raised on long island uh, um i was born in 1970 which means i missed the the amazons the original amazons the 1969 uh, uh, i missed that by a year and then uh, my junior year of high school, uh, my, my father's job got transferred over to Tokyo. So I was in the one year um, out. Uh, I was in Japan uh, in 1986. So I had to listen to that wonderful World Series on Armed Forces Radio <laughs> at 8 o'clock in homeroom in high school in the morning. So I kind of missed 86. I did the mm -hmm. best I could from the technologies available in 86. You know, my father uh, um, had an uncle John. We went to some Mets games growing up. But if you were if you were a Long Island kid, you were you know you were likely uh, a Mets fan. There's obviously there's 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 healthy Yankees there, but you know, in, in I think my town is probably seventy thirty Mets compared to Yankees. Um, so it kind of came with the territory, you know. Plus the whole you know, you know, you got to believe and the struggle and you know, struggle builds character. So. You know, I, I think I was more suited to, 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 to be a Mets fan uh, um, um, as a result. Uh, cards, uh, as a kid, I loved baseball cards. You know, my my own personal baseball skill peaked in Little League. <laughs> um, you know, I had a, I had a really good arm and that's about it. I couldn't I couldn't hit particularly well. 
but I loved flipping cards. I was really good at scaling them, like like thirty yards. I was going to say, by flipping cards, you mean quite literally, physically no, uh, flipping. Bat mitt, bat mitt, that yeah, the, the 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 flipping for like like playing playing like playing war with a deck of cards, that kind of flipping, and then scaling them, I guess called. So, but I it wasn't. <clears throat> I, I, all of my cards had dented edges and were beat up from 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 being manhandled. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, you know, I had that love of cards. You know, I I didn't have. 50 shoe boxes in the attic. I, I, you know, all my cards eventually probably wound up in the garbage because they got so wrecked from, from, from physical usage. And then sort of, you know, once I hit the, uh, um, you know, you know, it, it's funny you ask that because, you know, in, in preparing for this and sort of thinking about, you know, I called it like my, my, my own baseball evolution. There were like sort of like three stages and, and cards are in like, like, you know, sort of like two of them, which is, you know, it starts in Little League, interest is high, but your focus is 100% on the players, right? Is who's mm-hmm. your favorite players? Uh, um, when I was a kid, I loved Rusty Staub. I, um, my my grandmother worked at the March of Dimes, and they did some stuff with the Mets. And so there was something I got, I got to meet Rusty Staub as a kid. That was, you know, you know, little kid meets a ball player. It's a thrill of a yeah. lifetime. The college years and sort of early career then it, it ebbed for me, right? It was more like, you know, you're constantly studying, you're constantly working, whatever. I just didn't pay close attention much to anything. But when you, you know, in the sort of late 20s and there is like the focus there was more on the managers and like in-game strategy. And that, because when you're a kid, it's just see the ball, you know, throw the ball, hit the ball, catch the ball. But then a little bit later on, you start thinking in-game strategy and double switches and some of the more some of the more intricate things that go on, uh, you know, uh, uh, from the manager's perspective. And I said, like, sort of like probably 40 years old and, and up, it's, you know, sort of fall in love with it again. And that's the focus there is more on the GM side about building a team, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. to me, there was sort of like three distinct chapters in it. It was 100% player focused, kid loves baseball, simple, right? Then learning the, the 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 a lot of the intricate parts of the game, and then the, the the general manager and team building stuff. So cards are in part like sort of one, and I would actually credit, you know, the fact that now that that, that Candy is doing digital cards with MLB. I don't think I ever would have back, gotten back into cards again. It just I don't think it would have happened. A couple things. Number one, the, just the NFT stuff in general, but especially digital baseball cards. You know, I don't want to, you know, I'm trying to declutter. I'm not trying yes. to get boxes of, you know, you know, uh, you know, I read the Marie Kondo book and I'm like, yeah, she understands me. I need to, I need to declutter. So, so if you can get your mind around the fact that, you know, what's that famous podcast? You go overpriced JPEGs. It's like, if you can get you, if you can understand that it's so much more than that, if mm-hmm. you can get past that, then it's such a, you know, it's such a wonderful way to get back into cards without all of the, you know clutter and physical aspect to it uh, uh so 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 anyway I'll, I'll i'll stop there but it was really cards as a kid and i never would have gotten back into cards because and again i was never an investor or you know i would see the honest wagner trade for one million and two million and three million it was always oh that's great that's cool but mm-hmm. none of it none of it interested me i think i bought beckett's magazine once in my life uh, you know to, to to see what a card was worth but you know, if not for digital cards, I don't think I was. I was. I would still love baseball and still love my Mets, but I would not have gotten back into cards. Now, was it only baseball that held that interest, or were there other sports as well that 
also captivated you? Or was it just a baseball household, baseball from an early age, and only baseball? Only baseball. Uh, I'm also a New York Giants fan, football. You know, I think that has more to do that in my formative years growing up, we had the, the Giants had the best boot. We had Madden and Summerall, and they were the first to draw on the screen. So if you're a little kid, that stuff's very helpful to understand 22 guys mash, mashing into each other. You don't need you don't need that on baseball commentary. It's pretty self-evident yeah. what's what's going on. But, you know, I grew up on Long Island with those great Islanders hockey teams. And, you know, everyone loved playing street hockey and everyone's favorite day in gym classes was floor hockey. But hockey has a tough time hanging on to its fans. Uh, um, mm-hmm. So I kind of I kind of just never, you know, never really fell back in love with hockey. And when when Michael Jordan, I loved I loved the NBA. But when Jordan retired, it, you know, it just kind of it kind of killed it for me. You know, mm-hmm. the, the uh, so, so NBA has waned for me. Hockey has waned for me. I still love football, but it, it is, it, you know, my fanness is all about baseball. Love it. And, and cards and other sports, you know, not really. When, when my wife and I, we moved up to Connecticut in 1998 or so, we happened to live right near a, a BC sports collectibles. I don't even know if they're still around, but it was like a chain <laughs> that sold stuff. So, you know, there was some interesting, you know, buy a pack of rookie cards right before the NFL draft because, you know, I think most people don't know that the NFL draft used to just be a, a totally under the radar event in the back theater at Madison Square Garden that was free and you could just walk in. You know, it, it was the first three rounds on Saturday, the next, the, the final four on Sunday, final four rounds on Sunday. And you would just, you know, so you'd buy a pack of cards before the draft to see his drafted, but it wasn't this huge primetime event that it is now. My, uh, my parents grew up in Connecticut. So I had my dad as a Red Sox fan. His brother was a Yankee fan, and their third brother was a Mets fan. So I'm actually just That's wearing the Mason the... Dixon line. It's yeah. around <laughs> in Connecticut. Of, yeah, you go above that, and you're you're squarely in, uh, in, in 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 Patriots and Red Sox land. And below that, it's more Yankee. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to. So you you had touched on the just how nice it is to have the the digital element of an NFT as a collectible is just. It's such an awesome way to declutter, not have to fill up shoe boxes. I mean, I've got baseball cards myself. They take up space. But not only that, the, the whole eBay transaction, the, the mailing, the receiving, things getting lost, everything in between. There's lots of fees baked in there. I know there are fees with NFTs as well, but you know, it's, it's just a different format. So it's a, it's a very nice thing for the collector once you recognize all of those benefits. So I wanted to... You know, in that in that note, I wanted to ask, what was your introduction to candy, and what was what was that thing that made you decide, yeah, I'm, I believe in this. I want to get involved with this on a bigger level. Sure, sure. So, so, you know, it's funny. It started with NFTs, and NFTs first, candy second. So, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I've never met the man, never spoke to him, but I always felt a certain kinship with Tim Ferriss because. He's a Long Island kid who wound up going to school, going to like high school over in Japan. And that's why, you know, then he went on to eight into Princeton study, East Asian studies and stuff like that. But but so so I, I was probably like a day one listener to his podcast and he did this video podcast with a good friend of his named Kevin Rose. Right. And the two of them together were just terrific. And they, they would they would crack a bottle of wine and they would talk about it was just it was just two friends talking it was you know you know i think you know tim ferris i believe he was like a 
you know, an early Facebook investor, uh, um, but this whole thing was deconstructing excellence and like an accelerated learning, right? Uh, you know, he had a TV show for a while about how can you learn to play the drums and, and to sit in on a set with the, with, with, with a, I forget the band, a serious band at Madison Square Garden for one song with only one week's practice and that kind of stuff. That stuff fascinates me. So, so I found, I sort of became aware of Kevin Rose through Tim Ferriss. And then Kevin Rose was early in the whole NFT space. So he was, I followed him and then he was very, I got a great education from following him about what NFTs were all about and the potential and, and how it worked. So then because I'd worked in, in hedge funds for a long time, I knew who Mike Novogratz was, right? And mm -hmm. he was, he was a huge hedge fund guy before uh, Galaxy, before he did Galaxy and, and got, and uh, became sort of a leader in, in cryptocurrency. So in between the Kevin Rose and then it's one of Mike Novogratz's brothers is one of the key people in candy. So I became aware of that and I said, wait a minute. So they're going to do MLB is going to do a licensed version of things through, through a Novogratz on mm -hmm. NFT. I was like, you know, I got to check this out. I'm in. And that, that was my introduction to the whole thing was a combination of Kevin Rose and the Novogratz family, I guess I should say. <laughs> That's cool because oh, Novogratz yeah. is not usually people's answer. The, you know, for me, I found out through Gary Vee, but obviously Fanatics is a huge piece of it too. So it's cool that, that Novogratz was. Gary Vee. I, I, I only found out who Gary Vee was a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm late to the game on that. So David, who was it that, that introduced you to it? To Candy specifically, it yeah. was actually just being signed up for the San Francisco Giants emails. And as they were doing the Stadium Series release last summer, uh, when it was San Francisco's turn for their NFT to be released for their Oracle Park Stadium, I got it. I'd, I'd been on the fringe of crypto and NFT for about six months leading up to that. I hadn't purchased any NFTs yet, but I'd been, you know, picking up crypto as an investment and looking into it kind of from a distance. But once I got an email from San Francisco Giants about it and that they had an NFT, I needed to know more and I just dove headfirst in at that point and no looking back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it was a Gary Vee tweet. I've been a big Gary Vee guy for six, seven, eight years now and had already been following him, getting educated, educated on VFriends crypto. So he was he was the tier that or he was the, the pillar that that brought me in. So cool that we all had a, a different entry point. Um, but yeah, so I was going to pull up your, your collection here, which I'm sure people are looking forward to seeing. And I wanted to ask, what is your, so this is not everything. I, I pulled out the highlights and obviously there's a lot of awesomeness in here, but which one, or it doesn't have to be one, but what are you most excited about holding right now? Obviously there's, there's the four one-on-ones up top there, but what, what in your collection gives you the most joy in, in these early days of this project? Absolutely, the goat. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Degrom, Jacob Degrom, all day long. You know, not just the on-field dominance, but also just the way he carries himself. The guy's such a stud. You know, I, I'm, I'm very. I don't know much about Francisco Alvarez, but I'm really excited. You know, as the, you know, as as a, you know, as a catcher who can mash. You know, I, I don't. I hope he can also call a game and keep the pitching staff happy. <laughs> But, you know, I guess that remains to be seen at, at the major league level. But, yeah, it's all about DeGrom. You know, I, I'm getting that same, you know, it was so great to be 
right there to see Michael Jordan's whole career. And I'm getting those vibes again with Otani, a guy with those combined talents of, you know, throw 100 miles an hour and, 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 and knock it out of the park 500 feet. You know, obviously not since Babe Ruth, but I feel like for a baseball fan, this is a great time to be alive. <laughs> I've always said if I wasn't a Mets fan, I'd be a Giants fan because they, they have such an awesome fan base. I work in Greenwich Village here at NYU. There's a, you know, uh, unfortunately, it didn't make it through the through the pandemic, but there was a great uh, bar around the corner called Finities, where it was like a home away for all the all things, uh, all sports team San Francisco. And Brian and Dieter, who ran it, were just wonderful guys. So so when the Giants were in town on that East Coast road trip every year, they would always stop by there one of the nights. And you could, you know, you go over there. They were just the nicest guys and the executives and uh, so, you know, same thing, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, and especially Posey, you know, now that he's packing it up and stuff, it's a thrill to have, uh, it's a thrill to have those two cards. There's also a guy in there. I know nothing about him. I, I, I read his stats and stuff like that. I was just so excited. His name is Xavier Edwards. Uh, he's from Mineola, which you could, you could throw a stone from my house and, 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 and probably get, get within uh, earshot of, of him. So, I'm very excited to watch Xavier Edwards' uh, career. Um, gosh, who else? That, um, that was an intriguing one. It's good to hear the story on why, and that makes perfect sense. But I was I was curious why there was a little extra representation of of Edwards there amongst the the more some of the more obvious players. Um, and then also a very good friend of mine named uh, uh, Rene Samoys. He's out in California, but he was here uh, he was here uh, in New York uh, for a long time. He has a good friend who I met. We were we were out for dinner one night. A guy named uh, Angelo Ponte, who was Nate Ivaldi's roommate at I want to say Texas A and M. I think I have that right. It might be Texas Tech. I think it was an Aggie. But uh, between so Angelo was always telling Nate Ivaldi stories. Just you know, he's whatever. He's just, just a wonderful guy. One of the kindest people. You know, he's saying one of the kind. And I've never met Nate Ivaldi. He's saying one of the kindest guys you could ever meet. Best roommate ever. And then, you know, when he came out of the bullpen for the Red Sox that time, you know, and just pitched, God, I don't even remember how many innings on short rest or whatever, like, that's hero stuff to me. That's the kind of stuff mm -hmm. that where, you know, you, you are forever a legend in that town. And, you know, he played for other teams before. He may play for other, te other teams after. But so I loaded up a little on Nate Eovaldi, mostly because I think – sounds a little corny but like i think these digital baseball cards are going to make awesome birthday christmas presents whatever so most of my friends pretty much all of my friends remember and i'm 51 so but I'll, don't have a digital wallet so i'll be like hey you gotta open up a metamask or do something i i, I have a card i want to send you mm -hmm. and they're not there yet so a chunk of these oh and i got it i got a ton of degroms for i've got you know my my my, my uh my cousins, the Festas, the Festa family, you know, they go to opening day every year. They're huge Mets fans. I want to, I, I want to send them Degroms, Degrom cards. So, 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 you know, I'm going to hang on to some of the, you know, some of the epics and above, and then some of the core, the ones I have multiple of. I already know who they're going to. I'm just waiting for them to get wallets. <laughs> yeah, and, and just so people watching understand this, like I said, these are the highlights. It was there were lots of cores, lots of dupes. Couldn't show everything on screen, but a collection pushing pushing a hundred units overall. Just a really cool thing to to flip through. And I know that you and David at the before we started recording were talking about how 
the the mesh between your Mets fandom and San Francisco. And uh, David had been eyeing the the Brandon Crawford. It was one of the first things that he and I talked about prior to even filming our first podcast together. Was his uh, his hope of one day getting his hands on that Crawford card? You know, you know, and th- this literally it just harkens you back to to when you were a kid in simpler times but like you know i played shortstop so i always appreciate you know my my favorite player of all time is junior griffey but the guy oh god one of the top three i love to watch was ozzy smith just because he was just so Mm -hmm. such a beautiful shortstop defensively so i've always had a soft spot in my heart for great defensive shortstops and and you know just even the way you know, it makes me nuts, you know, to, to quote Keith Hernandez, where you got to take care of the fundies, the fundamentals. So, you know, you sort of look and you see before every pitch, just like literally who's sitting there saying, OK, if the ball's hit to me, what I'm going to do. And it makes me nuts when you see someone paid millions of dollars a year, at Major League Baseball, and the ball's hit to them. And clearly they're not sure. There's a runner on second, but they had a mm-hmm. shift on. Wait, wait, what do I do again? I'm like, dude, you're supposed to be thinking about it before. So so. Brandon Crawford was just sort of, I always thought he was like the thinking man shortstop. And I love that about him, you know, and it, what is he 35 years old and he had like the best year of his career last year. And so I don't know, I just a uh, huge fan. Uh, it was, it was a thrill to, to thrill to, to, to pick up a Crawford, uh, a Crawford legendary. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to pick up an Epic at some point, settle for one of those, but particularly you know with, Go ahead, David. Sorry. I was going to say, particularly with the year they all just had, uh, you know, Crawford and Posey both, you know, made the all-star team, but even Brandon Belt didn't make the team, so he didn't get an NFT yet. But just to see the three of those Giants veterans put the year in that they did, you know. Love the baby giraffe. (laughs) I wish wish they had a card for him, too. Yeah, would have been nice. Would have been nice. Going to get a second shot at all those extra players with this, uh, this upcoming pack drop. Yes, I'm very excited about that. You know, I see there's been a ton of chatter about it. I'm not even sure what to expect. I'm just going to, you know, you know, I'm just saving up a little dry powder and we'll, we'll you know, we'll see how all that goes, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been it's been this very small population of players for a very long time. I feel like, you know, that was the honeymoon period and now we're going to get into, you know, into the real exciting so you, you've answered a couple of my questions already. I was going to ask you about Evaldi because that one stood out to me as a Red Sox fan. So we, we got into that. But, and I kind of have gotten my answer to this one as well uh, just through talking with you over this, this last little bit here. But what has your mental approach been as you've pieced these together? It, has it entirely been just picking guys that you like or has there been anything more to it than that? It, or is it really just that simple? Sure, it's... It's 85% that is that, you know, my approach is that I want to bid on players I care about and I want to pay prices that, and remember, I'm not going to be a trader, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to, I guess I'd be considered an investor, but I'm I'm trying, I do not want in my, just this is my own selfish, whatever. I don't want these to feel like investments because that would kill it for me. I'm thinking of them as like, buy and hold family heirloom treasures, right? As corny as that sounds, that that's that's sort of, you know, my, my, my vibe and all this, you know, the, oh gosh, um, the only one in the collection that hurts a little is Ronald Acuna Jr., right? Because he's in Atlanta Brave, but he's so damn good, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
know, like it's like as a Mets fan, you can't help but love Chipper Jones, right? Because he crucified us every year. And when he named his baby boy Shea after Shea Stadium, I'm like, oh God, it's you could look at that as the dagger in the heart or as like the ultimate sort of tip of the cap, sort mm -hmm. of. And I think he, you know, Chipper had that, you know, like I know the guy, but I'm saying he seems like he had that kind of guy who just had the awesomely wicked sense of humor. So like, you know, even though he killed us, I love Chipper and, and the Acuna kid, he's just so talented. You know, I hope he comes back, uh, you know, from his knee injury, a hundred percent. So that was more like, you know what? Uh, I wanted to grab a, I wanted to grab a decent scarcity Acuna for the long haul. And, you know, I feel like, now they say sometimes the rivalries matter more to the fans than to the players, but like, you know, oh, I'd love to have him on our team. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much that I, I want to, uh, you know, I want to bid on players I care about and I want to pay prices so that, you know, if they get, if they get cut in half, I, you know, if five years from now, if they're cut in half, it doesn't spoil my enjoyment at all. When I look at them mm -hmm. every day, that's it. it it's, it's more of an emotional thing. It's and it's funny because I was I was talking to one of the other one of the other you know I guess collectors about it. I was using the example of like a like a commodities futures market, where, you know, just just because two people are on the same field doesn't mean they're playing the same game, right? And the the to me the way to think about it is, the commodities market. Let's just talk about like soybeans. So. There's people who make soybeans and there's people who need soybeans to make their product and they need it as an input. Um, and in the markets, those guys are called hedgers. The speculators are people who just have an opinion about his, or the value of soybeans, price of soybeans going up or down. They're just trying to make money. They have no interest in physical soybeans. So in a sense, on the, uh, you know, on the cards, I'm like the soybean guy who just wants to own soybeans. And then there's other people on the same playing field who have opinions about where the values of different cards are going. So they're playing more of like a trading game and I'm playing more of like a buy and hold, you know, again, family treasure type game. So, so that's why I want to try to, I want to fish at the top end of the market, perhaps pay a premium price and hold it forever. And, you know, and, and then there's other folks who are trading, I think up and down the price spectrum for a variety of reasons, but I'm, I'm, my interests are, 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 are more narrow that way. Yes, of course, I hope they go up in value, <laughs> but that's sort of, you know, it's just, it's just cool to relive the whole baseball card thing. Mm -hmm. It feels great. And it's so simple, you know, <laughs> again, none of this works like, uh, you know, to your point earlier, where if I had to like, you know, you know, lick the stamp and find bubble wrap and, and mail it to, to the guy in Omaha and then make sure he got it and everything's okay. I'm not doing it. You know, mm -hmm. it's a station in life thing for me. Now I'm not at 51. I'm not doing that. You know, uh, as, as life's responsibilities pile up, you, you know, married kids, mortgages, stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have, I, I, you know, and my limited Ram up here, I'm not going to make time for that kind of stuff. So, so, so the simplicity of this, you know, and again, with the, the authenticity and the scarcity, uh, you know, the Scott Galloway arguments about you know, th those things, it all sort of comes together beautifully, beautifully for me to relive the joys of baseball cards when I was, you know, 14. So that, anyway, that, that, that's, that's sort of the, that's the emotional lane that this is occupying for me. And it's, it's, it's just terrific. I can really respect that. And you have, you know, you have a plan that, that works for you. And 
you're, you've set out on that plan and you're sticking to it. And that is fantastic to see personally. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's cool. You know, David and I are both in this for a lot of different reasons. We both have cards that we have no interest in selling. We obviously do a lot of analysis of the the data and the statistics because that's just how our brains work. And we enjoy kind of having an idea about what might happen and speculating on it and things of that nature. But it's cool to see that with a a collection this substantial that it really is founded in. You just, you love these cards and it's present. The best part to me is that you weren't already, you weren't actively diehard with baseball cards, but this NFT yeah. version of it has given you a new opportunity to embrace that fandom because it is such a, it's it's a much lower barrier to entry, even though to, some, to many it looks like a more complicated version of collectibles. As we've outlined over the last half hour here, it really is in a lot of ways, a much simpler process. And so it's cool that that was one of the big reasons why you ended up where you are with these. Absolutely true. And it was it was very intimidating at first because I think in my age demographic, you start off in the, it's just an overpriced JPEG thing. You have to get off that island, right, first. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, my, my, my son is a, is a sophomore here at NYU. And so, you know, that generation, they're sort of born into this stuff. It, they don't. There's no. There's no old island. They have to get 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 themselves get their mind off of first before this stuff can make sense. So, so it was intimidating at first. It was you know it, you know it, it took the Kevin Roses and the and the Matt Novogratzes and the Tim Ferris of the world to sort of demystify a, a lot of this stuff. You know the the the, the Candy Discord channel has helped. I've learned a ton from 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 the folks in there who are. A lot, early, a lot more educated on this stuff than I am from you guys. But I feel like once, once you get off that island and then, and then understand just the basics of sort of what's going on here, it's, it's been all down, it's been all downhill from there. It's been great. That's awesome. I think that a lot of us have gained a lot of uh, knowledge and just a general appreciation for the community within the Discord. So many people willing to provide insight and. Uh, David's one of those people for sure, constantly giving people insight to, to look at things from a different angle. So a lot of people Absolutely. ready to answer those questions, which is awesome. But and and not to put too fine a point on it, but but also in, you know, you know, in, in today's crazy world, it's nice to have stuff that you can talk about and argue about and stuff like you know, I mean, between politics and religion and and a lot of the other stuff going on right now, you know. Mets and Yankees fans, we can get together and talk about whose team sucks more. Like it's, it's great, but like it's just like you said, it really is. It's nice to have, it's nice to be part of a community like this where that kind of exchange and good-natured ribbing and all that stuff goes on, and everybody goes home friends and nobody. It's 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 a really nice community. I didn't, in example, I didn't even know what Discord was after I bought my first card, right? So, so mm -hmm. I'm that new to all this stuff, but it's just, it's a great, it's sort of, it's a great community. Certainly is. Discord is definitely one of the things that makes NFT projects very unique. And the oh, level yeah. of access is, it's so abundant if you're willing to go uh, communicate with people. So, well, Jeff, we very much appreciate you joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. I hope to do it again. So we are going to let you go, but I want to just ask real quick, what are, you, what are you most looking forward to with this 2022 pack drop that's uh, in a couple weeks? You know, um, it still broke my heart that we, two things, that we didn't resign bias, right? 
because mm-hmm. he's the smartest player I've ever seen. You know, yeah, okay, the strikeouts, but just I can't remember a more electric player. He was, you know, he was my. We used to joke that there was a, a, a the, the Ten Commandments of sports, and that commandment number three or something like that was like your favorite player doesn't necessarily have to come from your favorite team, but he cannot come from your team's arch rival, right? So if you're a Yankee fan, your favorite player doesn't have to be a Yankee, but it cannot be a Red Sox, right? Like <laughs> that was that was like number three. My current favorite player was Javi Baez, right? So when, when he comes to the Mets, I'm thrilled. I'm over the moon. I wish we could have hung on to him. He made he made the game so electric. We brought the whole family to his first game at, at, at City Field and stuff. So so the, if the moon and the stars could have lined up just right where Baez was part of this one in a Mets uniform, that would have been, you know, mm-hmm. otherworldly. Oh, gosh. Other than that, um, Lindor, obviously. You know, big Lindor fan, love the polar bear. You know, and it's one other thing is as I've gotten older, I used to know all the lineups of all the teams. But, you know, as life intrudes with other responsibilities, now you kind of just I follow the Mets and the, and the teams in our division. I don't know what's going on in the Minnesota Twins. You know, I'm a National League guy. Uh, so 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 my my awareness has has really narrowed which also makes collecting a little easier. I don't have a favorite Minnesota twin, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to see what they look like. You know, uh, I thought they took really cool pictures. If you notice in a lot of the, uh, the 2021 all-stars, there's a lot of players pointing in the pictures and stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, 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 they uh, uh, I'm interested to see the, the photos that they use, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, probably just want to get my hands on every, on, on every Mets card that I can. I'll still pick up a bias. That's okay. I know where Detroit is. I can find them. Uh, um, but uh, just, yeah, really looking forward to the 2022 cards. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for joining us and uh, looking forward to doing this again sometime. David, Nate, thank you guys so much for having me. Loved it. Thank you. That was great. That was uh, a lot of fun to have that conversation. Jeff is a great guy. It's cool to see that he is so centric on his fandom and just enjoying the cards that that he's buying and it's something that you and I talk about a lot. Obviously, we look at it from a data perspective as well. You and I have different mm-hmm. avenues that we get enjoyment from in this project and NFTs in general, but at the core of it, you and I have both preached that you got to enjoy the cards that you're holding. You have to believe in those guys and just and you know, enjoy it. You just have to have fun with it and Jeff clearly does that. Exactly. As much as we like to turn a profit on some of our cards, we're mostly doing that to fuel our long-term purchases, our, our forever holds, uh, the same way that he's been you know, collecting his own forever holds for himself and his family. Mm-hmm. All right. So should we jump into the big sales of the week as we usually do at the top of the show? Yeah, let, let's take a look, see what, what we missed this past week. All right. So... Batting leadoff here, we've got the the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Epic went for a dollar over eight thousand. This is the per, sorry, it's the perfect serial Vlad Epic, and mm-hmm. it slotted itself right between a Epic Trout and the one of one Molina. So this was a pretty pretty intriguing sale. Very cool card to hold. This is you know this is a top three Vlad Guerrero card to hold within the project. You've got the one of one the one of 30 and the 30 of 30. So, you know, you could throw the, the Jersey cereal in there as well. Very cool card. In addition to that, we had the 
Jose Ramirez jersey cereal go, his epic for $14.99. Not a particularly high value in terms of some of the other numbers that we've seen, but I love these jersey cereals. I always find it interesting to see mm-hmm. what they went for and, and what people, what fans were specifically looking for, that type of card. We also had the third most expensive overall, and we were just talking about this the collection that this went to with Jeff. This Buster Posey card is one of the more intriguing sales we've seen so far. Joins those other three one-of-ones and just a, a really, really cool sale to see. Anytime a one-of-one gets sold, it's, uh, it's cool to see. And then last but not least, we saw the, the fourth $4,000 rare trout. And we haven't seen this a lot where it's uh, that specific a number that is being repeated mm-hmm. over and over again. So there were some low ones that sold very early on, relatively low. And we've also had the uh, $7,000 perfect cereal. But in general, $4,000 is right around the average that these have been going for. But cool that, that exactly four of them have gone for exactly $4,000. Uh, so let's jump into the set floors. So this week we saw a continue in a slight downtrend with the all-star set that we saw last week. Uh, but we also saw a continue in a slight uptrend for the uncut diamond set. Yeah, and on one hand, on the one hand, it is a little surprising to see the all stars dip as we get so close to the cutoff for that eighty-one out of eighty-one set. Uh, but on the other hand, this was joined by the announcement for the upcoming twenty twenty-two packs, and so I think a lot of people who've been waiting to make sales. Uh, have decided that they want just a little bit more liquidity to be ready for those pack drops. And so I think we're seeing some of that selling pressure, particularly with the All-Star set. But surprisingly, that Uncut Diamond set saw yet another slight increase, um, which just speaks to the strength of those prospects holding their value, even as people are more motivated to sell. Yeah, I definitely, I agree. I think that You've got a period here where people are figuring out what to do with their candy balances, getting funds ready for the upcoming packs. And that's why I wanted to just show these first before we dive into the packs, because we are going to talk packs before we talk market. But I thought that looking at this was a little bit of a a context, or at least Mm -hmm. we're making the assumption that people are accumulating a small bag or a big bag, depending on what they think they're going to have access to. There's lots of different layers of access. We're going to get into that as well. But it certainly seems to be that we've got some people deciding to sell off a card here or there and, and get ready for that, that those packs that we are all anxiously awaiting. So let me pull up some of the, the pack data here. In bright red, we've got the stuff that we know for sure. And then I will I'll let you take over with some of the the speculation that that we have going on here as well. Right. Part of that pack announcement mentioned that it was going to be all teams, all lineups. And there's still some vagueness on what specifically that means. But I took it on my upon myself to run some numbers in terms of uh, how many total players that would be, depending on how many players they took from each team. And they do have an expanded roster right now of 28 per team. Um, There's also a 40-team roster that could be in play. 
And so I just broke it down based upon if they went with that many players per team. And, and they might not. They might go for a smaller, you know, 15 player per team type of sample. But if they got everybody and they went with 28 per team, based upon the number of packs and the number of total NFTs, that's what we could be looking with right there. That would be, um, you know, 1,740 cores, just about 660 uncommon, 330 rare, 165 epic, and of course, just the one of one legendary. And I made some assumptions uh, with the current set. We saw a, a, a ratio between uncommon, rare, and epic where it halved at each interval. And so with the All-Stars, we saw 120 Uncommon, 60 Rare, and 30 Epic. Or we saw 160, 80, 40 with those prospects. And so if they maintain that parity between Uncommons, Rares, and Epics, uh, that's how the numbers would work out just about if they went with 28 people per team. And it's almost 2,900 mints per player if that were the case. Now, if they did the expanded 40-player roster per team, that's 1,200 players total. And I really like the way these numbers work out. And so I did I got a little bit more specific, predicting that if it were 1,200 total players, there'd be 1,181 cores per player, 480 uncommon, 240 rare, and 120 epics with one legendary. And that works out to 2,022 mints per player and for the 2022 icon set i think that would be perfect uh, it does mean that we, we'd see maybe more players than we'd want but the numbers working out that way uh, at least uh, make it exciting to me yeah i love the way that the the numbers came down to that pretty wild especially because 40 man is is what the actual roster is on an mlb team i personally do not think that we're going to see that many players mm -hmm. i i don't even think we're going to see 28 you know the the tweet that that they sent out every team every lineup you know it's it's vague it could be it could mean a lot of different things it could mean the nine man lineup plus starters you know i think that at a minimum you're going to see 14 per team the nine man lineup plus the four starters plus the closer but that's even simplifying it not every team has a clear cut closer that would put you, you know, I, I think we're going to see somewhere more like 15 to 20, maybe 25, but it's all speculation. It could be completely off. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing here to recognize, even if, let's say that it was 15, just for an exercise. So basically cut, cut the 28 per team numbers in half, which would double then, them. or sorry, yes, do, double them, <laughs> which would multiply the, the per player from 3,000 to 6,000. So at that point, it's a little bit high, higher than we would been than we had been hoping for, but still significantly lower than other projects of similar nature where you've got 10,000 or 50,000 for a given player. So, relatively mm -hmm. speaking, still pretty low. Now that I'm saying the numbers out loud, I guess I'm hoping for somewhere around 20 to 25 players, not exactly get all the way to to 6,000 per player. That would be a little bit high, but it's mm -hmm. it's pros and cons because if you have less players you're going to have more cards per player but if you have more players there's more guys that you're probably not going to be super thrilled when you when you pull that pack and end up with a guy on the bench or a middle reliever or somebody that just doesn't have a whole lot of flash involved exactly 
But if we do end up with five or 6,000 mints per player, then that in contrast to our current 2021 sets, the All-Star and the Uncut Diamonds, is just going to make them that much more obviously rare uh, with the size of their mints. Right, and look at, let's, you know, similar on the other side of the coin, different exercise, 40 per team. You're looking at the best case scenario in terms of mint sizes, and even at that, you've got epics at 120 instead of 30. You've got rares at 240 instead of 60. And you and I have been saying this for the last month and a half now. It is those mint counts, those mint numbers, actually physically being seen by collectors that is going to truly give perspective on what it is that we're holding right now. Because mm -hmm. we've talked about the multipliers, we've talked about the the 2x jump from one to the next and how we don't fully think that makes sense yet. I think that we are going to see those numbers move on the original cards once everybody has these numbers right in front of them. Yes, we can run these. You and I have, you know, number brains and we enjoy coming up with this. Anybody could run these numbers. We have we have the knowledge of the 485,000 packs with 5 NFTs per, per pack. So, anybody could crunch the numbers. But once we actually see that there are 2,000 cores or that there are 200 epics. Those are gonna be the things that, that have people actually put it into perspective and understand that we are never going to see serial runs the way that we saw with these original cards again. Exactly. So let's, uh, you know, let's talk about, about some of the, the other elements of, of this pack drop. So we've got We've got, th uh, sorry, yes, three three different tiers of access in terms of early access. Now, we don't know what early access means exactly yet. We know that with mm -hmm. Sweet Futures, it meant a 30-minute window prior to the general population having access that you'd be able to go in and have access to the open mint stuff. But this is very different than that. This isn't, you know, rares and epics, open mints, one of one auctions this is just a pack drop so is it going to be access to additional packs and then you also get to try your hand at the the general distribution is it going to mean that you will have a set amount in that early access and then you are no longer eligible for the general release there's a lot of different things that it could possibly mean we can speculate on it but what we know for sure is that the first tier is you've got the well here let me just let me pull it up here so tier one is going to provide access across all four lineups meaning all eight drops so the way that it's working is we've got four different four different lineups meaning four different sets of cards within the set subsets mm -hmm. within the set and two drops for each one so in order to get access to all eight drops tier one is anybody holding the the full all-star set or the full uncut diamond set when the snapshot gets taken on March 31st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Or you've got the MLB Stadium Series Chaser completionist from the original list of Stadium Chasers, uh, from Stadium Chaser re recipients. You've also got Candy Suite members, which is the, let's call them the ambassadors of Candy, the, the highest contributing members for a lot of different reasons, whether it be just being super helpful in the Discord or providing value in another way. And then you've got the Candy Discord day one members. And these were people that have just been around since the very beginning of Candy. 
those five categories are going to get access to all eight drops across the entire 2022 pack four lineups for the for the pack drops tier two is also going to get access to or potentially have access to all eight but it's going to be based on individual snapshots being taken before each of the lineups so prior to the first lineup Anybody holding the Sweet Futures Basketball Chaser, which is obtained by collecting a rare or higher of the eight Sweet Futures basketball players, basketball cards, or anybody holding a 2021 MLB one of one. So those are the two tokens that will give you access when a snapshot gets taken prior to a lineup, which means that you need to be actively holding those things prior to each of the four lineups dropping as opposed to tier one where it's just an individual snapshot being taken and then you get access for for all eight and then i'll just briefly touch sorry i'm I'm long-winded here but i'll briefly touch on tier three which is only access for the first two drops and the two ways or sorry the three ways for this are to hold either 10 play of the days they can all be the same you can hold the atlanta braves gold world series trophy or anyone who signed up for candy emails prior to July 8th of 2021. Whew, David, you do some talking. I just um, had one minor correction okay. on that. Uh, for tier two, um, it is access to all four lineups, but at least my reading is it's access to just the first drop for each lineup um, because it says, well, nope, it, it might not actually, I could be reading that wrong. Uh, the way it's phrased, it could be for all eight, but they have to qualify for the snapshot before the first lineup so that you could either lose or gain qualification in between lineups. And then the tier three, both of the drops are for just that first lineup. So it is two drops, but it's two drops of the same exact lineup Correct. that the yeah. tier three would have access to. I think a good point to make based on the transgression that just happened right there is that this was a big announcement. It was a beefy announcement to work through and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's confusing. It's a little bit confusing. And so the, I, I do believe that the way that this reads is that you're going to get access at tier two for sweet futures and the one of ones that you're going to get access for, for both of the drops within the given lineup, because the final thing says you'll be eligible for the lineup immediately following the snapshot. So to me, Mm -hmm. that's if the lineup consists of two drops, the, the caveat there is that you don't get access through all four. You need to be holding it prior to each lineup. So in theory, Mm -hmm. anybody holding those things that, and if it's important to them, they'll continue to gain that access in order to, uh, you know, have early access to, to the future drops. But unlike that tier one, where it's guaranteed for all eight after the snapshot, you will need to continue holding that item. Uh, and I agree with that now. Upon further reflection, I think that is correct as well. <laughs> cool. We're on the same page. And to, to the point just being made there, lineups one through four are going to span across uh, from April to June. Lineup one is April 12th and April 19th. Lineup two is May 3rd and May 10th. Lineup three, May 24th and May 31st. And the final lineup four is June 14th and June 21st. So keep your eyes out for the different snapshots being taken. All that stuff is going to be announced in the Discord. I'm going to do my best to tweet it out. 
give clarification where clarification is needed, but it is a lot to know. If you have questions, at Talking Candy NFT on Twitter, let me know and happy to, uh, David and I will talk it through, get confused, figure it out, and then <laughs> respond back to you. Mm -hmm. And until then, uh, just keep your Tuesdays clear for the next couple months. Seriously, good point. All, all eight of those dates are Tuesdays. So Tuesday is candy day from here on out. Was there anything else regarding the the packs that you wanted to to touch? Anything that we that we skipped there? No, that's all we know for now. But we are expecting at least one more announcement to hit the Discord this week. Hopefully, clarifying some information about the players that will be involved in each of those lineups. Um, maybe some more specifics about the the mint counts that we speculated on before. Um, but until we get a new announcement, I think. That has us caught up for now. I want to say that it was teased that Wednesday is that day. So uh, by the time this gets released tomorrow. So let's, uh, let's hope that's that and we'll have more to, more to talk about and, and dive into. But with that being said, let's, let's jump into the market and let's start with the All-Stars movement on the week. Okay. Uh, well, then I'll take us through these numbers. Now we've had a, a long show already so far so we're not going to linger too much uh, as much as we normally would uh, but if this is information you want to see then feel free to pause to take in the numbers but we're just going to be uh, going right down the list and so we, we have you know our top sales this week across cores uncommons rares and epics and overall i've highlighted a few different players for a few different reasons and uh, we saw for the cores i've highlighted buster posey he sold eight cores his price moved uh, up by 6%. And I highlighted him because before the All-Star set, we saw a lot of decreasing core prices. And so even those top movers we see there on that core list, many of them saw a price decrease this week. But Buster Posey was one of the few who saw an increase of 6% on his prices. And uh, on the uncommon list, I've highlighted Corbin Burns, not because he had a price change, but because those two uncommon sales represented uncommon sale number 49 and 50 for him, uh, which puts him into uh, kind of a higher tier of uncommon sales. And for the rare list, uh, we had Jake Cronenworth sold three. His price skyrocketed. It more than doubled from 199 to 475 on his rares on just those three sales. And I highlighted Ronald Acuna Jr., because those two sales put him to 31 total sales. So now he's only the third player to have sold 30 or more rare sales. So that puts him uh, in some rare territory himself. Also, quick and, fun fact, one of those rare Acunas went to the same collection as the Perfect Serial 30 of 30 Epic Flad that we just talked about. So that's an impressive collection to, to keep an eye out for. But I'll, I'll let mm -hmm. you continue. Oh, uh, yeah, that was... A good note um, some of the especially at these higher rarities um, we're seeing the same names pop up again and again as they build these imp impressive collections and then on the uh, Max Scherzer epic only one sale uh, but that was quite an increase up 50% from 1770 to 2650 on his epic floor and so we'll have to see if he moves another epic at that higher price or if it has to come down again before the next sale gets made. All right, and jumping into the all-star all-time, 
My man, Brian Reynolds, making his way onto the overall. Shout out Chap the Barber. Shout out Devin, Brian Reynolds crew. Uh, yeah, at 245 sales, he's just crept his way onto the top 10 list in terms of overall sales. Uh, so he's just 80 sales behind Yusei Kikuchi himself for claiming that top spot. But other than the few names creeping onto the bottom of the list, there wasn't a whole lot of change at the top of these lists. Even you know, if you look at the rare list, no change at all this week. And there were a few sales. You know, Juan Soto did make a sale himself, going from 39 to 40. So not only was he the first to 30, but he's the first to 40 by almost a full 10. And so uh, that's still impressive. But otherwise, not a lot of change on the all-time overall list there. It's going to be extremely interesting to see when some of these numbers creep up to the actual serial number of the given card and obviously Soto is already making a push to that but once that Soto number becomes 47, 49, 51 you know you have to imagine at some point we're going to have a significant slowdown in any type Mm -hmm. of sale at least until there's a market event that that creates uh, a big move in either direction really it it could be uh, a market move for the positive or for the negative and but yeah that's a card that we've talked about a lot that is going to continue to become more and more difficult to get your hands on as the supply gets lower and lower and uh specifically those 40 soto sales uh, i did take a deep dive this week uh to see how many of them were duplicates if it was the same card being sold multiple times and there were six duplicate sales in there but that means 34 out of 40 of those sales have been unique copies being sold. And it it, it will start to slow down as that number rises because not too many people are going to be willing to part with a card of that nature. For sure. All right, let's jump into the Uncut Diamonds weekly movement. Mm -hmm. So on the the weekly movers for Uncut Diamond, um, I highlighted Gabriel Moreno. He sold 10 cores, saw a price increase of 15% from 78 to 90. Uh, we see Nolan Jones with Uncommon sold 4 and saw a 35% price increase. Uh, CJ Abrams sold 4 rares this week, and his price moved from 299 to 400 And to me, I see this as sort of a correction in rare price, uh, because we've seen his core price move a lot over the past two weeks. And now that his core has kind of settled at that over 100 range, uh, it's much more fitting for him to have a rare price closer to 400 than the 300 it was at before. Now for Epics, JJ Blade sold three, and he saw a price decrease. His price went from 590 to 500 after those three sales, and so that was a bit surprising. It stuck out to me, but it just kind of shows you that with some people, when there's a lot of selling pressure. And people get into competition with each other. It can push those prices down as people are competing to be the one to make the sale, to generate that liquidity for themselves. And it just happened to be, in the case of JJ Blade, that um, you know there was a race to the bottom, resulting in multiple sales, but it didn't do any favors for his uh, current asking price. Yeah, I think that, that sometimes it can be pressure to undercut each other, but sometimes it's also somebody recognizing that a card that they're holding is gaining in popularity for whatever reason 
they mm-hmm. might know why, they might not know why, and then they think to themselves, okay, this is an opportunity to to seize that moment while people are paying attention to a guy like JJ Bleday and go in and, you know, I'm willing to take $100 less or $50 less or whatever it may be. So lots of different mindsets mm-hmm. that could go into that that sale decision. Mm-hmm. And then in that overall column, I mentioned earlier, but C.J. Abrams followed up a couple good weeks with another strong week. And this just shows that, you know, the past two weeks, you know, weren't a fluke. He not only reached some new heights, but he's kind of solidified himself there across all four of his rarities, you know, by continuing to make sales uh, for a third week in a row. All right, let's jump into the the all time and then we will wrap this thing up. And, uh, for the all-time list for the uncut diamonds, uh, we had Jason Dominguez uh, moving his way up onto the core list, and Gabriel Moreno. I didn't mention him as much before, but he did make quite a few sales this week. He was at the top of the overall list this week, and so across a variety of rarities, we see him gaining ground, and we've seen that a few times. We had a week where Nick Gonzalez was the standout a week where C.J. Abrams was the standout. And this week, it, it has been all about Gabriel Moreno in terms of total sales. And so he gained a couple positions on the core list um, and then a, a few minor changes on the uncommon list, but nothing too crazy. Uh, C.J. Abrams pushed his way onto the rare list and a, a lot of changes actually across the rare list with Moreno and Alex Thomas, Alec Thomas taking the one and two spot away from Nick Gonzalez. Uh, we saw two new faces on the epic list, Bryson Stott and Nick Lodolo. And on the overall list, uh, a couple positional changes. Gabriel Moreno um, usurped that bronze medal role from Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, we had Jason Dominguez passing Marco Luciano. And then uh, we had Yolki Cespedes pushing his way onto the bottom of that top 10 overall list. Love it. Love it. Uh, there is a, a Talking Candy video that has been recorded and is coming out about more detail on a lot of these uncut guys. So take a look at that. It'll be dropping this week. But with that, appreciate everybody being here. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Hope you enjoyed the data. Looking forward to the 2022 packs. Hope everybody has good luck with that. Uh, but with that being said, my name's Nate. That's David. This is the Talking Candy Podcast, and we will see you in the next one. Check. The grills in my mouth.